Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about training around your cycle. This is a little bit of an improv episode uh, as well a little bit off the cuff with a bit more up-to-date insight into training around your menstrual cycle. It is something that we've spoken a lot about in the past um, and we've gone into lots more detail in previous episodes. So we'll make sure that we link those in the description below for you guys that do want a bit more of a long-winded conversation. But today is going to be a little bit of an update about where we're at um, with our own, I guess, um, menstrual health and how we train around our cycles with that and a little bit more up-to-date knowledge around the topic. Yeah, we last spoke about this. It was episode 21. So that would have still probably been, well, start of 2020. You had just come off the Implanon um, or taken that out. I'd just come off the pill. I didn't have a cycle. Yours became regular quite quickly. But now fast forward, we definitely both have regular cycles. We experience our own versions of the symptoms and all of that. And it's been really cool to be able to go through that journey over the past two years to really get in tune with our natural bodies again. But for anyone who wants information around different forms of contraception coming off, you know, training when you have menopause and all of that, we have um, made previous episodes. So today is mainly about just the training side of it. Mm, absolutely. And I think we can uh, like kick, kick it off and maybe just go through the four different phases, um, if you like, Danny, and, and just go through and share our own experiences as we um, go through the, the cycle in that fashion. But as Danny mentioned, like way back, episode 21, like years ago, um, we this is when we first started to become curious about like women's health and contraception and the menstrual cycle and trying to work with our physiology. And in that time, we've had some incredible guests come on uh, and share their insight and expertise on the area as well. And I think it's just nice to be able to add personal experience onto it as well because we all have our own um, like cycle and we all respond in really different ways but there is essentially like a blueprint like we're all females at the end of the day unless we've got some um, men tuning in which I'm sure we do but we all respond in a very similar way when we are having a normal natural menstrual cycle like hormones are hormones and we all respond in a very similar way to menstruate each month so we have the first phase which is um the follicular phase and it's pretty much half the cycle but we can call follicular phase one like which is that first week and it's going to embody from the time that you start bleeding until the end of ovulation and I like to call this like follicular gains like when you can get the most out of your training and I definitely notice this um, when I just don't feel any fatigue effects that I might later on in the month but I'd love to hear from you Danny of like whether there's any ways that you change your training or alter it like in that first um, follicular follicular phase yeah so follicular as you mentioned day one to just after ovulation and that can be around day 14 to 15 so the moment you guys start bleeding day one okay note that down um and that is sort of a lower hormone phase right we don't have those spikes in estrogen and progesterone that we have later on in the cycle so generally you feel a little more settled your recovery is better mood is better generally you can have more output in the gym stronger this is where the pbs happen um it's it's a good time particularly heading sort of away from day one towards that ovulation you can really notice yourself uh, having more output in the gym and i definitely do Mm. sometimes when i am bleeding day one and two 
I, I'm still a bit resistant because I struggle to brace sometimes if yeah. I'm a little bit bloated. So although, you know, mentally I feel okay to push, my body's saying, Danny, if, if you go and squat and deadlift right now, you're not going to be able to brace properly. Therefore, you might have other structures taking the load, lower back, things like that. So um, when I just start bleeding, I generally take it easy based on what my body says. But then I love to sort of ramp it up heading to ovulation. Yeah, absolutely. I also just wanted to highlight as well, um, like with some of the previous episodes that we've done, we I have linked these in a highlight on my story called Women's Health. And in there as well, I've got a few infographics that are literally breaking down um, what we're talking about as well. And something that I did change between like, I guess, version one and version two of this like training around your menstrual cycle infographic is that day one, I used to just like pigeonhole follicular phase as like, yep, time to push. But as you mentioned there, Danny, like that day one can be when people are having like more um, cramps as your lining sheds and maybe you just generally feel a bit more fatigued in general. So you might want to pull back on that first day if you bleed. I actually choose to not train if I can. Um, and I feel great by day two, to be honest. Like I don't have a heavy cycle. So usually day one, I'm pretty, you know, a bit drained and tired and I just pull back. But then day two, I'm fine to go. And something you mentioned there as well, which I think so many people forget about is that if you have a tampon in or if you have a menstrual cup in, um, you your brace may be inhibited because of your pelvic floor and I'm like the last thing I want to do is try and like pull my oh pelvic my floor up when I, have a <laughs> I don't know I want to do that um so it's just something that I'm mindful of like heavy compounds squats like deadlifts those sorts of things I'm like nah like I already feel there's a heavy uterus I've got a cup in there like it's oh not God. it's not the time um whereas as it gets like my cycle gets a bit lighter I might just wear a liner to the gym to be honest or those yeah. um period undies with the g-strings fantastic to train in if you've got a light cycle in general. I haven't. Oh, I bought them, but I haven't used them. Danny, I got to put off. Game changer. Oh, did oh. you grow up with those nighttime pads that were like nappies? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like yeah. this is honestly, you kids say it like this is a fantastic. Um, but yeah, like I said, if you've got a if you've got a heavy cycle, it might not be the best. I don't know if you can you can probably get heavy ones, but I just find like you know day sort of two, three, four. Um, it's it's quite nice. I don't know, it's just my preference, and everyone's got you know their own preferences, and that's so fine. But yeah, mm. I think if you've got you've got to consider your pelvic floor like a part of your core, right? It really helps with your brace. You obviously pull your TVA, you tighten your abdomen in, and you pull your pelvic floor up. And hand gestures here that no one's going to be able to see. <laughs> um, you pull your pelvic floor up and that helps you create a 360 brace mm. um, and keep your back safe and, and keep a really rigid torso. Now, obviously, this can be, not always, but this can be compromised um, if you're finding it, you know, difficult. If you've got a tampon in, like I said, a cup, these are nuances that no one's going to talk about. And like I said, male trainers probably aren't going to, you know, dabble in this area and ask you these questions and that's so fine. Yeah, but have you got a tampon in right now? <laughs> <laughs> get out I'm like, I want a female trainer um but something to be mindful of right like and I think knowledge helps me pull back so it's not a matter of like physically can it's like mentally I'm like oh okay like this is why this is happening to me it gives me that permission to sleep to be like take it easy today deload if you need to um and then know that you're going to be able to build up the intensity as the weeks go by yeah, well, that's why tracking is so important. It's to not take the day so literally, but it's to have a general idea of, hey, 
I might be feeling this way because I'm here in my cycle. You don't want to have the opposite effect and sort of put yourself off. Even if your body feels good, you don't want to just objectively look at the data and go, nope, I'm on day one. Now I should be feeling shit. Like even if you don't. So it's important to still track and get that data, but then also really put the attention back on yourself. Well, Mm -hmm. how do I feel today? Do I feel well enough to go in the gym? Actually, yeah, I do. I'm going to go train. Or do I feel a bit shit today? I'm going to pull back. So always turn it back on how you're feeling. Yep, absolutely. And with this, like um, with the follicular phase as well, as you mentioned, Danny, like low hormone phase, it's when we're physiologically more like a male. And if you are on contraception and something I experienced too, this is probably how you're going to feel all the time to be honest, because your hormones are constantly baselined. So when you're on contraception, you're not getting the normal fluctuations that you would because that's what causes ovulation um, and that's what causes your lining to shed. So when you're taking synthetic um, hormones like synthetic progesterone and estrogen, it just baselines your hormones and you're not going to experience these fluctuations. And I definitely noticed that when I was on contraception, contraception, I just didn't notice anything different. And I begged the question to Stacey Sims when we had her on. I remember asking, well, if we could just take contraception and it baselines everything, why wouldn't we just do it? Then we wouldn't experience the lows, right? We wouldn't experience the phases that we felt fatigued. And her response to this was, well, we don't then experience the highs. We don't experience all the positive um, benefits that we get from ovulation, which is going to be, you know, helping with bone density. It's going to be improving performance and strength. There's a lot of neurological benefits that we get as females from ovulating as well. That's going to prevent us against like Alzheimer's um, disease and other things as well, which is very, very nuanced information and stuff that we're not thinking about in our 20s um, or in our early 30s as well. So yes, we may experience the lows, but we also experience the highs and a lot of the benefits from these things too, because I think a lot of the time we can get so caught up in, oh, you know, sucks, PMS, like so bloated. And it's like, yeah, but you've had like, you know, true awesome weeks and all these amazing health benefits that you get from estrogen, which gets demonized and it shouldn't, but we get all these amazing benefits from um, our reproductive female hormones that make us healthier women. So it's important to reflect on those during the follicular phase as well. Oh yeah. And isn't that just such a nice metaphor for life almost, you know, you have to experience the lows to get the highs. Like you and I have had years on contraception where you literally wouldn't have anything. And And I mean nothing, like no changes in cervical fluid. You wouldn't notice Mm -hmm. any symptoms in your body. And at the time, without education, you go, this is fantastic. I'm going to spend summer without a period. I'm going to go to the beach. I remember skipping the sugar pills like no tomorrow. Like it was the best competing. Clear skin. Clear skin. I didn't have a period. You know, when I was competing, I thought Mm -hmm. this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, remember, you went through this experience with me and it sort of dawned on me. I go, holy shit, my body hasn't had a proper period since I was like 16. And then that's where the exploration came. And, and we've sort of been mm-hmm. um, on our journey around, you know, going to the GPs and that was useless, but we won't go down that rabbit hole again. That's in previous episodes. But then it's kind of nice now to have those symptoms, although they can be debilitating sometimes for me you know I might um, get a migraine or something if I'm under high stress 
it's still nice to know, hey, my body's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and maybe we can talk about ways to manage symptoms at the end as well, even though we did sort of say it's just going to be about training. I still want to give a little bit of advice at the end on tracking and managing symptoms as well because they can be managed. Yeah, absolutely. Really well said. And I think with the ovulation piece as well, as I mentioned, there's a lot of um, like research coming out sort of saying that you know as women we don't ovulate forever we sort of we have like a finite amount of eggs and we stop ovulating we go through you know um perimenopause and and into that menopausal state and they're starting to do to unpack a lot of the literature about how important ovulation is for our overall health and to connect our endocrine system so our period starts in our brain and our hypothalamus speaks to our pituitary and our pituitary speaks to our ovaries and we get this nice feedback loop but when we um, don't ovulate for um, a host of different reasons it can be stress related it can be energy availability it can be contraception we actually cut off um, our hpa axis and it's our brain stops talking to our ovaries and Again, this is only sort of coming out now about the repercussions long-term, about going on the pill from the age of 15 when we first start ovulating or getting a cycle until we're ready to have kids, right? Like this HPA axis hasn't had an opportunity to become established um, and therefore we don't have this feedback loop. And moreover, I think there's a problem with going on contraception for such a long period of time, coming off only to realise, hey, I have all these underlying issues um, and I'm only going to figure out now now I have to go through IVF because I haven't been able to address this and really establish this feedback loop. So I feel like it's so important to understand your body, like so important. It's like common, it should be common sense, but it's not, it's not taught to us. So it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility now to be like, okay, cool. I have access to all this amazing content. Um, I'm going to take back control. And it starts with um, first understanding your own physiology, but then using it to your advantage, which is what we're talking about today. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all PMS for the whole month we don't exist for two weeks out of the month we can thrive in the gym if we understand how to work around it oh yeah and and it's been so amazing to see the nature of how the industry is changing in a sense of women are actually wanting to talk about it even males with their partners with their clients you know this is a topic now that more people are talking about and it's just amazing because Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of us have had that experience of not knowing but then you know, you don't know what you don't know as a kid. Then you get older and go, oh my God, this actually could be a problem. Where do I go? And that is a scary feeling, not mm-hmm. knowing who can help you. But it's yeah. been amazing to to see such a shift now where there are people that can help you. There are resources as well. So yeah, give yourself time. Like it took me 18 months to get a regular cycle and that's with help and interventions mm-hmm. from a fertility specialist. Like because you haven't had that connection for 10 years, it's not going to happen overnight. So a lot of people come off the pill and say, oh, it's been a month. I've I've broken out a bit. I don't feel good. I'm going to go back on the pill. And it's so easy to do that. Kind of like um, if you try a building phase and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel good. I'm going to go back to a deficit. You need to give yourself at least three months, but it could be three months to Mm -hmm. 18 months to allow your brain and body to restore that connection again. Just give yourself that time. It's really, really important because then once um, once it's restored, then you can start working on symptom management and everything. But for the start, it's quite normal and common for your body to feel a little bit out of sorts, but it's just trying to sort of regulate again. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very common in the fitness industry and unspoken about um, like hypothalamic amenorrhea where you don't get your menstrual cycle. It is so common, guys. And I speak with so many women on a regular basis that want to get their cycle back. Um, and the my first thing that I always talk about is like, cool, like what's your nutrition? What's your stress like? What's your training like? Like, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle. And I think so, like you said, Danny, it's like, oh, I've been doing all the right things for the last month. It's like, cool. Like, it's not like anything else. Um three to six months before you even worry about anything. It's not even a point getting blood work done if you've been in a deficit for so long and you think I've been eating back. It's like you probably got to gain some body fat. Um, to be honest, you probably got to remove a lot of the stresses in your life and you've got to eat, you know, like 2,000 plus calories is where the majority of women should ideally be sitting. I know with amnorrhea, they just put people straight on 2,500 calories and just oh, make God. them sort of eat that um, to really restore that energy balance. And we know everyone's very different. Of course, we don't want to put on a heap of weight, but it's really something that you have to take seriously. You have to work on an individual level with someone um, to be able to restore that because, yeah, we can give generalized advice, but we don't know you from bar of soap, to be honest. <laughs> so you've got to go through, like you said, Danny, like a practitioner to make sure you can address it. The the with the, the time that it actually needs. Oh, yeah. And there are so many elements that make up um, why you don't have it as well. And I'd love to maybe elaborate on that just so people don't think, oh, my God, the only answer is to eat 2,500 calories. No, like, you know, that's sort of a, a harsh intervention at the start. But, again, it's the type of nutrition you're feeding your body, you know. Yeah. We have internal stress and, and again, I was so highly wound and wired and on the go and, you know, I definitely had um, hypothalamic amenorrhea just based on lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, internal stress. What are my thoughts doing? Am I worried about work? And Do I have anxiety? Am I, like, creating stress internally? Am I ingesting nutrition that probably isn't, um, you know, optimal for 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 functioning. So what's my nutrition like? Am I in a deficit? Uh, How's my sleep going? Am I ingesting plastics? You know, we had that whole episode with Gabriella Rosa where she sort of put us off plastics and and chemicals. (laughs) You know, we got to pick and choose what we um, take on, but that was another big one. Mm -hmm. But then external stress, our environment, Mm -hmm. our training, um, all of these things make up for why we might not have a regular cycle as well. So it's not just as simple as I'm not eating enough because you can still have an irregular cycle and and be eating enough, but then there's so many other internal and external stresses that are playing a role too. So get curious about it, be your own scientist, you know, look Mm -hmm. internally and externally and say, hmm, all of these things are adding up. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just one thing, but you know, it can be a little bit overwhelming at the start, but if you make small changes over time with the right help, depending on the extent of what you're experiencing, it can certainly regulate. And then you just feel so much more in tune with yourself and feminine and you tap into that beautiful feminine energy. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the the masculine, you know, yin and yang. We've got that yang energy. We're going, we're nonstop. Don't worry about rest days, all of that. But then to to introduce that beautiful feminine side, it's like a superpower and you just feel so in tune with yourself. It's, yeah. oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And a big reason why I think, you know, we do want to become in tune with our bodies because it's sort of like you don't want to feel disconnected. But I love that you mentioned like, I guess it's not just about the energy availability, but if you if you put like a upside down triangle, right, as to like maybe some of the reasons why the biggest hierarchy thing that I see in the fitness industry is 
energy availability. And that's not just eating enough. Like if you're working on a gym floor as a PT, you probably underestimate how many calories you burn on a daily basis. And 2000 calories may not be enough to support your energy availability. So it's going to be like that big one. And then underneath, it's going to be like sleep and stress and other factors as well that's going to inhibit your recoverability um, as a whole. And then the other one as well, which I think people forget about just from a healthcare perspective is like structural, um, like reproductive diseases, PCOS, get your freaking pap smears like these things um, should be done too and this is why it's important not just to go to like your next fitness coach as well and sort of expect all the answers because they don't know like a lot of this stuff like go to your gps get your pap smears get your blood tests done get looked at properly because sometimes it's not just about eating more right there could be something going on and i'm always for like rule that out cool like everything comes back normal now we can focus on this stuff too because you'd hate to miss something to be honest and this is for the coaches too like you'd hate to miss something um and then try and fixate on on focus on the things that you might think are quite obvious like oh they're not eating enough they're not sleeping enough but getting ruled out and getting checked out um properly is where absolutely everyone should start can't stress that enough and that's so important because, you know, best case scenario, it comes back clear and you just spent a couple exactly. of hours waiting in the doctor's office. You just lose some hours of your time, but it's like that beautiful peace of mind that, hey, everything's come back and we're all sweet. You know, just yeah. with any regular health check, it's very, very, very important. Um, but often people turn a blind eye because we're so used to living in fast forward that you don't actually take the time to say hang on a minute I have been having a lot of pain for quite some time and often it's Mm. too late Um, you hear about people having cysts you know ovarian cyst size of like an orange or something and then I wonder if the signs were there earlier you don't really know but we're so conditioned to just being resourceful and pushing and you know it'll settle on its own and all of that but the reality is sometimes it doesn't this isn't to scare you guys it's just to say hey get a health check It'll come back clear and you're all sweet. And if it mm. doesn't, then you just take action accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, the I don't know, it just seems like the most obvious route for me, but I know that it gets missed a lot. Um, is like I think we can become too, like holistic is great, don't get me wrong, but it's not always down to nutrition, um, as you highlighted there. There could be other things going on. And I just think peace of mind by you guys is the best when things come back normal. You're like, yeah. oh, sweet. Now like it's focus on the stress because that's a long game, right? And it's something that needs to be sustainable as well. But once you've done that, right, regular <laughs> cycle, like forever, ongoing uh, looking at our reproductive health um the other piece is like when we link this to our training the one thing i wanted to highlight is ovulation like is the main event and this is basically when the eggs released and we're fertile it's the only time of the month that we can become pregnant around this fertile window and it's the main reason as to like why we get a bleed like a bleed is really good evidence that we've had ovulation um to begin with um it's also not the only case because obviously we can go on contraception we don't ovulate but we still bleed because of that synthetic um state But just before you ovulate, you may notice a big peak in strength. And this is because we have a slight slight, um, increase in testosterone um, as well. But then you get this big surge in other hormones like um, estrogen as well, which is anti-catabolic and can make you feel like a bit of a superwoman just before it. But my own personal experience is I feel really strong just before I ovulate. And then when I ovulate, I actually feel really tired. I'm fatigued. My body's run an internal marathon. Um, And to me, from like an evolutionary standpoint, point makes sense it's like leading up to ovulation i'm feeling a bit promiscuous <laughs> uh, <laughs> right and i feel that i'm like yep just before i'm ovulate so i'm like maybe 
you know, a couple of days before ovulation, I'll feel really strong in the gym. I'm obviously having the other signs that I'm about to go through ovulation as well. So core body temperature, um, vaginal discharge after, um, all of those sort of things that we all know. Um, and then, yeah, peak and strength is a big one for me. I'm like, this is not sustainable for the month, but I make <laughs> most of it. And then I know that once I ovulate, I have those couple of days where I do feel a little bit more tired. Um, I'm a bit more hungry. Um, my sleep might be disturbed initially due to temperature, et cetera. And just knowing that, like just knowing that, it makes me remove my emotional bias of like, oh, I was performing really well last week and now I'm weak. What's going on? I'm like, oh, okay, this is why. It's just my body doing what it's designed to do. Oh, yeah. So that's why it's important to track ovulation as well. You know, it's so easy to say, I'm bleeding. I'm going to mark this down. And that's what I used to do when I was a kid and I didn't know what I was doing. I just had a calendar and a pen. I'm like, okay, bleeding. I didn't know what else to do. But now, you know, we track our temperature. We track when we're ovulating. It's, as you said, the time where you can fall pregnant. So it's important, you know, to be aware of those days. And the symptoms are quite obvious, as you mentioned, Big changes in vaginal discharge as well. Um, the body is preparing to fall pregnant at that time. There can be a little bit of bloating as well as around ovulation and even weight fluctuations. Um, but when you when you you know peak ovulation, it's it's a good feeling. And as you said, you feel a bit cheeky and promiscuous. You got to ride that high because it it can be very fun. But be careful as well. <laughs> um, definitely make sure you track that time. And as you said, it's a good uh, lesson again to tune inwards and be easy on yourself. Say, hey, I'm leaving the first half of my cycle now. I might not feel as strong as before. It doesn't mean my progress is stalling because I'm a bad person or, you know, I'm doing something wrong. This is just natural physiology and it's mm. totally fine. Let's set up some new goals for the second half of the cycle being the luteal phase. So day 15 to 28 or 31 or 35, however long your cycle is, the second half of the cycle. Yeah. And it's really important as well. You mentioned logging and tracking, not just the bleed. I think a lot of people just get on and mark the bleed. Um, and like, it's fine to do that if you've probably got a really good understanding of your body and, you know, but if you're learning for the first time, just like tracking, right? Track everything. Like you should be tracking when you notice the peaks and when you notice um, the dips as well, or if you do notice that your sleep's impact, or if you have a skin um, issue or a breakout, or just like, if you're noticing anything, can you try and pick up on a trend? And even a while ago, when I was going through a lot of um, like um, eczema issues with my own skin, I had no idea that it was linked to my cycle and still I'll, until I started started tracking it around it and realizing that it was hormonal based um, and had nothing to do with what I was eating or what I was doing, right? So really mm. important to understand that hormones affect our body in like it's everything. They're the chemical messages that tell our body to literally do everything. So we're going to have this normal response when we have massive surges um, and drops as well. And it's going to affect every single gland, cell and tissue in our body. And it's why we can have cramps. It's why we can have skin breakouts. It's why we can be moody. It's why we can feel really flat. It's going to affect all of these things. And most definitely around ovulation, when you do have these big peaks and drops, it's going to affect us all in different ways. And there's a couple of things that I did want to highlight that you might experience around this time. The first one's obviously going to be libido. Um, your sex drive is going to go up because your body is knows that it's fertile during this mm. time. Um, and it's preparing your body to be able to um, implant an egg, right, and get pregnant. So you'll probably notice sex drive goes up, testosterone goes up a little bit. And that's why you might feel a little bit stronger and a little 
bit more sex drive as well. Um, but then the other thing that you might experience post ovulation is your temperature goes up during ovulation. And that's one of the things that you can track as well. If you wanted to, um, if you are tracking ovulation, your temperature goes up and it stays up during that luteal phase. And something I used to um, get a lot was sleep insomnia around this. I've since managed it um, and I don't really experience it much anymore, but your temperature rises a little bit and everyone responds differently. Like my temperature used to go up like a degrees, which is a lot. Um, whereas some people might only go up like 0.2 or 0.3. And that's still a fair bit. Like when you think about your internal core temperature, um, but the higher that your temperature jumps up, the more this may impact you. And I think it's 30% of women get sleep insomnia from um, the second part of their cycle, which is pretty significant mm. because when I was going through it, I'm like, geez, no one talks about this. Like I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Um, premenstrual insomnia. I Googled it, come up everywhere. Oh, and I was like, no one actually talks about it. Um, but sleep issues. And this, in my belief, is probably one of the biggest reasons why we feel so run down and tired in that second part is because overall, when we're not getting quality or quantity sleep, um, as a whole, our recovery capacity of our body is going to be diminished. And therefore, we're not going to be able to push as hard in the gym um, or try or lift the same weights that we might be able to. And then the second piece that flows on from this temperature is our calorie um, expenditure can increase by up to 20%. So if you maintain on like, you know, 22 hundred calories that's 2020 calories um on a minimum at a daily basis that your metabolic rate is going to be revving at right and so that needs to be accompanied for so when we're not doing all these things you can see how this cocktail comes together and it just reduces your capacity to train so it's not a matter of oh well i need to pull back it's a matter of how can i recover more do i need to eat a little bit more do i need to make sure that i'm recovering on my days off do i need to take work commitments off my plate like what do you need to do to enhance your recovery capacity rather than feel like oh poor me like i can't do it it's like mm. no just prioritize your recovery you're not going to get away with what you did in your follicular phase the same way as a 28 year old i don't get away with the things i used to do as a 19 year old <laughs> right like my recovery between the nights out is a lot different now um, um, so, so does your interventions. And I think when we can understand it's not a stress thing, it's a recovery thing, we can take a little bit of ownership and control over how we navigate our body and our recoverability during those last couple of weeks. So important and even important to start that recovery process before you bleed. So as you're saying in that second part of your cycle, because you don't want it to be too late and then you're like, oh my goodness, I feel horrible. You can start to to monitor and change your routine. I know that you sort of clear your schedule a little bit more um, in that last week, as you mentioned previously. And even with training, it's important to say, okay, I might not hit a PB at this time. And why would I? Because you're not going to recover the same. There's a higher chance in injury. You mentioned your sleep's not that great sometimes. You know, 30% increase in insomnia means less recovery, means more inflammation in the body. The higher inflammation in the body can lead to headaches and migraines. I've explored this heavily because that was probably one of my main symptoms where I would wake up and it's just a burning, burning migraine. That was because of inflammation. Then I can sort of say, what did I do the day before? A really big, heavy back and shoulder session. I've stopped doing that. Not ideal. Even holding my breath um, in the gym and putting all that tension. I, I've sort of stopped doing that right before I'm about to bleed just because it was debilitating. There is a higher chance of injury in this second part. Our ligaments become more lax. We have a big surge in um, estrogen and progesterone as we're heading into that luteal phase as well. 
This causes the ligaments to become lax or, or more stretchy, meaning there's more room for movement within the joints. So if we're training like crazy, adding load, rushing through movements and don't have a stable base in our training, i.e. unilateral work, so working one leg at a time, there is higher chance of increased movements within the joints. We get this a lot in SIJs. So the nature of the SIJ, so that little triangle bone um, is your sacrum. It's under your spine and between your two pelvis bones. Now, that's only meant to have a few degrees of movement at best. But if our ligaments are lax and particularly around our hips as women, you know, we're preparing to, to grow a baby. So we want our hips to be able to stretch, right? But if we're training and then rotating our pelvis left and right or, or forward and backwards, there is a big chance of SIJ pain. I actually experienced this the first time properly, which it's annoying, but I'm actually like, wow, okay, now I completely understand what it feels like um, because I was deadlifting. I was due for my period the next day, took a deload. Like I had it about 30 kilos less on the bar, but then after the first set, I just felt it straight at the back of my hips. Like it wasn't a technique thing. It wasn't anything else. Like my ligaments were just more lax and all of my loading happened there. I go, okay, wow. I definitely made a mistake with this kind of training. It it took me a few days to recover, but, you know, it still happens. Um, yeah. And it just reiterated, you know, what it actually feels like to have that pain, which was kind of cool in a nerdy way. Um, but then, you know, it can still happen and you think you might be feeling a lot better than what you are. So just tread carefully, guys. It's not to scare you. It's just to say, hey, don't beat yourself up mentally because there is a higher chance of these things happening for good reason. Um, mm. in, there's some articles as well that have been published around ACL injuries, like full um, grade three or grade four in people who play sport because, again, the ligaments are lax. So your, your ACL is in your knee higher chance of that rupturing um, during that time too. So it is nice to see more studies happening around this just to increase the awareness, but then also for us to hopefully be able to prevent such things like this because once you do your ACL, you know, it's months of recovery where you may have been able to prevent it just from having a little bit of a deload as well. So it's really interesting to read the science. Everyone is different, so nothing is set in stone, but there is fact that there is a higher chance of injury in that as well for those reasons yeah yeah really good share and one thing i just wanted to highlight as well you may have a small increase that's going to be higher but doesn't mean you're destined to sort of like injure yourself during this no. time too it's just about not. being mindful that you've got more um like mobility in this joint well and technique which it should always be a priority just needs to be made sure that it is a, a top priority during that time the other thing that i was curious about like when i was reading through some of those papers because i think it was the female soccer team that they did it on a lot of this stuff around the injuries and i don't have the answer a lot of this stuff is around the injuries just sports so they haven't actually tested it in like weightlifting which is very controlled technique based up down push pull um so something to keep in mind like probably more prevalent for like dynamic sports where you're jumping around kicking like more likely to injure yourself in general um but we have so many ways in the gym that we can control the movement to make sure that we don't hurt ourselves because i personally haven't experienced it like i understand the science behind it and it's definitely something that you like um even women that have had babies would experience too with the relaxant hormone for the pelvis having pelvic instability and something we definitely need to be mindful as women but if we really respect technique 
panic and know our body and pull back when we should, we can absolutely avoid it. Well, it depends. Yeah, very good to highlight as well. There is a higher chance of that happening in your dynamic sports. Um, But, you know, sports such as CrossFit or people who do HIIT training, jumping, explosive movements, um, lots of single leg work. If you're lunging, Bulgarian split squats, um, all of those single leg movements, there can just be an instance in which, you know, we have a little bit more movement under a certain amount of load and everything can align to that. It doesn't mean it is going to happen, but there is just that higher chance if all the stars align in that sequence. So just be mindful rather than, you know, aiming for a PB, single leg, whatever movement, um, just say, hey, I'm going to keep both feet on the ground today, keep it controlled, slow down my tempo and and train like that. So, yeah, good point to highlight there. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, one thing in my sort of like reading and learning about training around your menstrual cycle, it's made me as a coach reassess how we write programs as well. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this like linear progression of progressive overload is always applicable. And the answer is, of course, not. What's the solution? I don't know. Um, but it's just, it just means like put that critical thinking lens on for yourself. And when we become so clinical and so data driven, um, it goes against, like you even said, the feminine energy of being flexible and having having um, change across the month because what even is a training block? You know, we make it up. Our body doesn't know, oh, you're entering a new mesocycle, I better do this. <laughs> it just knows progression. And I think progression doesn't have to, it's never linear, but in our brain we always think about it for training as linear. We don't expect it in any other area of our life. So it's okay to have week one push, week two push, week three and four, just, you know, maintain or moderate and then go again. Like in my eyes, that is progressive overload just in a different context and I think the other thing I wanted to point out with um, the follicular phase is pretty standard we're all going to go through that we're all going to have minimum symptoms hopefully um, and be able to manage it in the best way we can this luteal phase can be um, hit and miss for some people some people might not even notice anything they go oh no I just I don't know anything other people might be on contraception someone else might have something like PCOS or endo where it's exacerbated even further so we're all going to be very different in what measures we need to take if if any, and just understanding that our body's all completely unique and you need to track where you're at, what you notice month by month um, and pay close attention to that. And moreover, just listen to your body. I think that's the main principle when it comes to what we have to do as women is we have to listen to our body. Everyone should be, but it's just that piece of, well, we're not a textbook and yes, our hormones are going to do this, but so what if something else is happening in our lifestyle, it's probably made redundant anyways in terms of stress and, and impact on recovery so always something to be mindful of when you're taking advice and reading research and listening to other people and going by the textbooks is that we're not textbooks it's why biology is a thing we're always constantly evolving and moving yeah I don't think we will ever get to a point where there is a research article to cover every single scenario it is just too broad so I love that you said we're not textbooks and it's very important for us to take ownership on our training because you and I offer very personal services we're talking to our clients we're screening them as individuals we're learning about their uh, um, their lifestyle however it is still very hard to prescribe training nutrition all of that to someone else who when we're never going to be in your body we're never going to be in your mind and even if there was daily communication or you know the most personal service you could get mm-hmm. it we're better off 
educating our clients on these things to then tune inwards because of all those variables. Just because you felt something one month doesn't mean it's going to carry on to the next. So for all the coaches listening, don't freak out and say, oh my goodness, like I haven't Uh, change my client's program around their cycle. Like there's so much more work. Well, you can minimize the work through teaching them or sending them resources on how to tune in. And then you can do the process together. They can say, thanks for the program this week. Actually, I do feel a little bit bloated today. Maybe I'm not going to go for that heavy hack squat or that heavy deadlift, you know, and you can say, great, I'll change it in your program. It, it, It just makes the process so much less overwhelming for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, like I get asked all the time, oh, do you program again with clients' menstrual cycles? It's like, no, I provide webinars and education and templates and systems to give them guidelines about what they can expect. And I teach them how to deload on their own because they're grown women. <laughs> I don't need to sort of program it and say, you must do this. Because what if they feel great? Yeah. You know, what if they feel great? Why should I do that? And I think that's the flexibility um, that we should have as coaches to create autonomous um, decision-making in our clients in the long run, because we're not algorithms. And for for sure, we can provide templates and structures. And I think apps like Aura and Flow are incredible. Like a lot of people like try and poo-poo them and go, oh, we can't predict this sort of stuff. Huh? And I get it, but it's sort of like at least they're trying. At yeah. least they're at least they're um, shortening the gap of people to have access to information and, and recognize these as aspects of health too and getting curious about it. Because again, it is such a nuanced space. No one's going to get it right at the start. Mm. Um, I'm sure MyFitnessPal didn't have the most accurate database when they first came out. And that's okay. As long as we know that all these things are just outlines and templates and we can learn from them take what we want leave what's not applicable always tune in first listen to our body um, and take that as the only data that we mostly need yeah fantastic and then if you do have symptoms that are debilitating as i mentioned you know extreme migraines or a lot of pain and and things that aren't um you just can't live your day-to-day always seek external advice as Sherelle mm-hmm. mentioned get your health checks seek a fertility specialist or a naturopath or Chinese medicine as well as your GPs there are so many other avenues out there um, but we shouldn't have to live in debilitating symptoms so yeah. it's just about recognizing hey can I manage this on my own or do I need a little bit of extra help mm, yeah and I just wanted to I guess maybe even close close this by saying that as women, we put up with so much. Like, I kid you not. I was saying to Luke the other day, you have the kid. You be the seahorse and carry that, right? You have it. You know how they have the men have yeah. the babies? Um, but there's so many things that we go through, right? Like puberty, we get our period at a young age, we don't know how to navigate it, we won't just want boys to like us, and then we <laughs> get older and we go through all these other body things and then menopause and then, you know, we have all of these things and I think especially in the, um, a lot of it's unspoken, but people go through severe pain and realise at the age of 25 that they have endo and they've had it their whole life and they, they go through these sorts of things and we put up with it. You know, we just suck it up and do it because as women we're actually really incredible strong and we have such a good pain threshold because of it um take it from an ex-midwife like freaking yeah. out we are tough like i'm like saying to the partners you watching this you're doing the dishes for the next five years <laughs> oh. but because of this amazing amazing resilience that we have and this amazing strength we don't speak up and we don't ask for help mm-hmm. and we don't say oh maybe this pain isn't normal uh, and maybe i shouldn't be putting up with this and it's just like that permission of like you know what would you say to your best girlfriend or your daughter 
water, if they were, you know, crawled up on the couch every fourth week of the month, like with severe pain, not normal and something that we shouldn't have to put up with. And there's a lot of different practitioners and um, people out there. So don't let one bad experience or one, you know, um, I guess less than ideal piece of advice hinder you from asking for help. It's just about finding the right person to do so. Perfect. How good was that? As Beyonce says, who run the world? Yes. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> oh, hats oh. off to you guys. But, yeah, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As I said, we just really wanted a bit of an update and a, a recap of all the things we've been thinking about on this topic. And we do have so many other amazing episodes um, on women's health and menstrual health and training around your menstrual cycle as well. We can definitely link a few of those uh, below in the description for you guys that do want a bit more in-depth um, science or to hear from some of our previous guests. But other than that, we do hope that you did I- enjoy this episode. And as always, if you did, please make sure that you share it on your Instagram story. Thanks, everyone.